tell you what Biruji means. Uh, Biruji is an African name that means good luck. Yeah, Biruji means good luck. Uh, good luck getting a job. <laughs> good luck getting through the airport. <laughs> Which I think is weird. It's weird that Biruji cannot get me through the airport, but Biruji can get me a job at the airport. <laughs> Hey podcast, in this episode I sat down with the one and only Birunji, and if you don't know who he is, he is a hilarious stand-up comedian and a good friend of mine. For his tour dates and for all of his content and information about him and what he is up to, you can find that on his website at BirunjiComedy.com. The way his name is spelled is B-I-R-U-N-G-I, so that's BirunjiComedy.com. He is on Instagram at BirunjiComedy and YouTube at Barunji Comedy. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one and only Barunji. You have ideas in your head and your job is to carry those ideas and put them in someone else's head. And <clears throat> that takes skill. So a lot of people, um, like I fight a lot with a lot of my friends when it comes to sports because most of them are very fanatical. Like, you know, they watch a game and then they're like, oh, these people are stupid. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. I'm like, trust me. The team spent a whole week planning the, the drills and everything. Right. If they're not executing, it's because there's been a breakdown in communication somewhere. We don't know where, but somewhere. So same with stand-up. If you tell a joke and then it doesn't get the feedback that you're looking for, there's been a breakdown somewhere. We don't know where. It's either the setup, it's either the punchline, it might be uh, any other information that you put in that wasn't required or that tilted it a different way. Yeah. Uh, same with the relationship. You know, if, if you're in a relationship with someone, um, they, uh, you know, people don't want, especially these days, people don't want to admit it. But women and men, we think very different ab about certain things. And so when your wife says, hey, um, we need to hang out <laughs> to a guy, we, we hear something else, you know, like we could have been in the same house for like two weeks straight. And then she would be like, hey, we need to hang out. And you're like, I've been here. <laughs> but there's something that she means, you know? Yeah. She actually means to get out of the house and maybe go to a restaurant and sit down and have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation and dinner, something like that. Yeah. She don't mean just sitting around in the living room together. Yeah. So yeah, so you see, so the theme is uh, communication or how to get your, your, your information straight and pass it on to other people. Yeah, so that's for me has worked a lot. And um, there's many ways to do it, but I think over and above, you, it has to be intentional. So like in the case of stand-up, obviously I, you have to write, you have to find a way to practice your jokes, whether it's visual, audio, written, whatever it is, you could pass them by some people and ask them what they think. Um, if it's coaching, same thing. I have an idea of what I wanna transmit to the kids. I have to write it down on paper. I have to think it through, like what happens when a goes to B and then B goes to C because then you don't want to end up in a situation where either 
the chain breaks down like someone moved and then the ball goes somewhere and there's nobody there yeah uh, yeah so for me it's it's been around uh getting much more intentional about getting my ideas on paper and then carrying them over to people right on you're you're one of my favorite acts to watch because you have really developed an authentic set based on your entire upbringing and coming to the United States. <laughs> I love listening to your, to your whole story every time. Uh, what, what, yeah, what, whether it's a whether it's at a mic and I can tell you just like touch, touching up your same story or whether it's uh, at, at, a, at, a, at a feature or something where you're featuring somebody else or you're doing a showcase, you know, I've seen your act a few times and uh, yeah, man, it's, all, it's always something I, I enjoy um, seeing the authenticity of, 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 of where you're from and what your background is. Oh shit, thanks man, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, the, and, the, and the reason that, that, it, that it's been something that is something I enjoy so much is because I'm going through this book right now called The New Stand-Up Comedy Bible by um, what's her name? It's on the website for uh, Judy Carter. It's on it's on the it's on the website for Comedy Underground. Um, oh. her, her old book is, and so the, the new book is the one that we're going through now. And I'm part of a Facebook group to where we're all writing jokes and everything. And that's her whole goal is to help you write off about authentic topics topics that are very specific to you, and you know really get below the surface and things that you don't like about yourself or things that are unique to you. So that's something that you seem to have really mastered. Um, so, Mastered is a, is a strong word, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's it's an art form, man, and and and, and, when, and when you do it, I think that's why you get such such traction the way that you do, it, and such a connection with the audience. Is because when you're when you're behind the microphone, I see a, a very intimate connection between you and the audience. Like you're not up there, like you know, do, do you spend time writing jokes and doing your due diligence and doing your practice? Yeah, you know, and you, and you can tell because you're professional what you do, but. Uh, you, you take it a step beyond that, which is what the form of the art is really about, is having a conversation with the audience. And so yeah. been my biggest challenge trying to bridge that gap. It's like I can, I'm a, I, I, went, I went to college as a, as, a, as a music performance major, right? So like I will, I, 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 I you know, can sit back and, and study and work at something and practice it and master it, but to be able to deliver it and present it in, in an authentic way, the way that you can connect with the audience is what I've been really trying to work on. And that's what's frustrating about the quarantine is that we can practice all we want, but the opportunities to perform in front of people is very few and far between. I think that's where most of the growth happens. Yeah, yeah, well, um... Yeah, it's, it's just happened and uh, I honestly, I'll be lying if I, t like I cannot tell you like how, how we came out to be, like, I, like choosing the topics and the things that I want to talk about and uh, delivering them the way that I've been able to. It's not something that I would stand here or sit here and say that has been absolutely intentional. Yeah. Yeah, it's and I, I I wouldn't I would even say that it has a long way to go. There's still a lot more to add to it. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when you stand on stage, people see things. People see things. They hear things. They smell things. <laughs> 
they feel things like uh, and you have to address those things and so yeah. i think that, that's the starting point you know it's it's uh i the classic one is the the hot girl who goes on stage and talks about her trials of not being able to find love or sex or relationship um in half the the entire audience is looking at her they're like yo my my girl stop it no stop it <laughs> it's like you think you have problems it's like look at you you're like it's a, a perfect like size 8 you got a good face you got a good voice you got good hair you got good skin and here you are talking about oh people hate me or guys hate me or whatever and it's like yo that is not authentic like again that's not to say they cute people or beautiful people cannot have problems in relationships mm. but it's not going to be because of your looks it's probably your personality and if it is <laughs> and if it is your personality then the joke should be about your personality yeah but not about how you know like you don't think you're hot enough to find somebody it's like no everyone sees it that you're right in front of the stage and half the people looking at you they're like you look good That, what's the problem here? Yeah. Yeah, anyway, that's one example that I could think of um as far as being authentic. Okay. So when you go into a set, are you are you thinking are you thinking of like um you know, what's happening lately or, or like what like what's what's the you mentioned you mentioned smell. That was that that kind of threw me like <laughs> what like like some, some, somebody farted or something and like you're going to address it or <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, uh, I said smell, but of, of course that was an exaggeration, but even then um like like I forget who it is. There's a comedian um in, in Seattle and uh I think I don't know if it's Seattle or just general, but he has a line something along the lines of yes, I do smell the way I look. <laughs> 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 I, I it might be Levi actually. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now that you mentioned that that's even funnier because that's somebody that can pull that off. I'm trying to think like a normal guy saying that I'm like all right. <laughs> But no him definitely. Exactly. So I miss that guy Zach too. You talk about one of the most unconventional comedians and unorthodox unorthodox comedians. Yeah. That's him. I know. So a guy like that or a line like that, it's like you he's turned the thing on its head. It's like the people cannot smell him, but they can see him and then he's made that connection because in their head they're thinking, "Oh, he looks like this. I wonder what he smells like." <laughs> and then he just answers the questions like, "Hey, I I I I smell the way I look." Something yeah. like that. It's like it's right there. They see it and then you say it. And then everyone's at ease because at that point it's like oh he knows what he looks like <laughs> and or feels uh, yeah. I think of Levi as the Miles Davis of comedians because, yeah because of his use of silence he'll mm-hmm. so I think I've seen him do an entire set without without saying a word I know I recorded one of those I I remember we were at the underground and he was about to go on stage and uh and uh, I was I think after him or before him 
and then he gave me his camera and, and I was able to capture the moment. That was pretty dope to watch. Yeah, it takes a lot of guts to go up there and not say anything right off the bat too, because because as, as a comedian, there's nothing more uncomfortable and unsettling than there being dead air and having it be quiet. So when you, when you get up, most, most comedians, especially inexperienced people, just start talking right away and try to get jokes out right away. But to get up there and just take a deep breath and assess everything and not feel rushed to start talking right away and to get a laugh right away, is, yeah, is, is a sign of maturity. I think within the stand-up world that I've been trying to get better at, but it, just, it takes guts, man, like to stand up. And- <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like real life. Where um, personally, I'll give you an example. Personally, I get this is just me. I don't know if it's true or not, but I get suspicious if I cannot sit with somebody and be silent with them wow like, yeah like because mo- most of the time let's say you go on a date like back in the day when you were dating i don't know if you did but <laughs> if you go on a date why, why, why do you think that i dated <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you might have met your person on the first try you know yeah yeah <laughs> but like so when you go on a date with somebody, at least even when you're watching the movies, like most dating scenes, mm-hmm. it, it's rapid fire. It's like the girl says something, the guy says something, the girl says something. It's like, do you like this? Yeah, I like it. You know what I like? No, no, I don't like that. But you know what? But you should try this place. And it's just a... That's because both of them are trying to impress each other at that point. And what happens is, of course, once you get to know that person, you realize I don't have to do that. Like, like when you wake up in the morning, it gets to a point where you can, you just can't talk all day. Yeah. So you have to find that sweet spot where you're not ignoring each other, but like you can sit in, let's say, the living room, and both do your thing. Let's say you're drinking a cup of coffee, reading a book, and she's over there maybe doing the dishes, whatever, and there's no problem. Like everyone's happy. Yeah, so for me, uh, even with guy friends, I feel like that. There are some friends of mine that if I'm hanging out with them, there's kind of a pressure to, to keep the conversation going or bring something up or whatever. Yeah. And then there's others that I know so well that we could be silent and it's not a big deal. Yeah. So same when you're on stage, you're, you're talking to these people. Most of us, when we're starting out, we feel the pressure to say something and just introduce new things new topics every minute every second and it's like no 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 dude that's not necessary it's like i know you you know me at least for now and it's okay you don't have to say a thing every time we can just enjoy this space if you have something to say you say it if i have something to say i say it if there's nothing to be said for maybe a minute or so, we can just be silent, and that's fine. So I don't know. That's that's my take on silence. <laughs> no, that, that's a, that's a that's a great analogy. And what was really interesting is you basically, for a little bit there, were were summarizing part of the book Love and Respect, which mm-hmm. is one of the most well-known relationship marriage books, and um, and he ta- and, and the author talks about. Um, 
I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but the author talks about a kind of companionship called side-by-side companionship. And yeah. more common among men than, than it is among, um, among women and how, um, from, from what he says in the book, that women are, like to be facing each other and conversing with each other and guys like to be side-by-side facing the same direction. So like look at two, two guys at a coffee shop together a lot of times they're both facing the same direction. Yeah. Not talking a whole lot. Women will more oftentimes be facing each other where they can converse more, which is the... Yeah. It's, um, I mean, to each their own, there's some relationships um, that are better off, you know, having that back and forth all the time. But yeah, yeah, from my experience, you know, silence, silence is a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and, and not that not that one's necessarily better than the other, but that they they both can have their place. You know, like there there there'll be like one of the examples in the book was um, one of the best marriages that he was was aware of, and, and that and, and that, that he knew from one of his acquaintances was um, some was this guy that would work on the that was, that was working on his car, and his wife was just sit was just sitting beside him chewing bubble gum or smoking a cigarette and and they were and they weren't even talking and that was literally <laughs> every day and yeah. love you know and there's no conversation happening but in a sense there there kind of is so yeah there's times where this is, this is pretty often where like i just want my wife next to me and yeah but but i'll be working and i'll be on my computer and i'll and i'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be doing bookkeeping. I'll be running invoices. I'll be I'll, I'll be I'll be processing orders. I'll be making shipping labels. Like I'll be I'll be doing I'll, I'll be doing something work related. I'll be writing jokes and 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 and, and I'll be doing something creative or something that I need to be paying attention to. And so like I then she knows not to interrupt me because if I'm in the middle of thought and she interrupts me, then it takes me forever to get back to what I was working on, or whatever I was thinking about beforehand. But, yeah. But but I, but it, and she gets annoyed because like I just want her there. I'm like, can you just like eat and and just hang out or like or, or just like scroll through Instagram or something? But like I just I, I just want you next to me. <laughs> so <laughs> dysfunctional relationship that we have. <laughs> no, it's a it's different styles. Um, yeah, it's, it's again. There's no perfect matches and um, like. It also, you have to realize that you know, in a in a relationship, we're all bringing different baggage with us. Yeah. And, and there's nothing you can do about that baggage. Uh, so, like for instance, like I know myself uh, by virtue of the way I was raised, and even the way I'm still being raised right now, which is I've always been on my own. Like even right now in America, I moved here by myself. Yeah. So that's me. I like being by myself. Not just like it, I'm comfortable with it. And my wife is the opposite. She grew up around family. She's born and raised in America, uh, in pretty much in the same uh, time zone. So she's, she's used to comfort and structure and all those things. I'm used to chaos. And, and solo ventures and things like that. So, but we cannot change that about ourselves. So coming into the relationship, I cannot change her and she cannot exclusively change me. 
So you kind of have just to meet halfway somewhere. Yeah, definitely. My wife and I are very similar, actually. She's she's a lot more comfortable in environments where there's lots of people, lots of talking, loves to lo- 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 loves loves being around other people. Her her personality type is a sanguine. Uh, my personality type is melancholy, and so I'm getting the impression that yours and my personalities are are similar in in, in, the, in the way that uh, we, we we need a, a decent amount of time just by ourselves. Oh yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm probably extreme though, because I literally don't. This is gonna sound harsh, but I don't need people until like I'm on stage or something. So what got you started doing stand-up comedy, man? What was what what made that something that you wanted to do? Um, honestly, I I <laughs> it it was a happenstance. Um, I went to uh, I went to a, so when I was in college, I had a friend. Um, well, he was yeah, he's a friend. I I mean, technically, I didn't know him personally, but he was a friend. We went to the same school, and yeah. then he had a he had a dog retirement party. Like he had this dog. Um, he's in a wheelchair, so he has this guide dog that was working with him while we were in college. But also, this dog was with him uh, since I think uh, since he was maybe in high school or something. So this dog had been with him for at least ten years or so. And finally, the dog was too old and he was going to retire, so they threw a party for him to retire. So the party they threw was with this dog association. So it was a bunch of old people and dogs. And then they invited a comedian as the entertainment for the evening. And okay. and I decided to support. So I went over there and uh, I just, you know, uh, I, I was an audience member. And then these two comedians came up and obviously tough crowd. It's all dogs <laughs> and old people. <laughs> 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 and and I just it was amazing to watch. I mean, they did fail miserably, but for me, uh, something clicked. I, I was watching something I had never seen before, which is you know when you go to church or when you go to a, a political rally, everyone's listening, everyone's on board, people are chanting and all that. But when you're performing at a fundraiser where people were not even expecting you. <laughs> That was quite something to watch. So after this show, I went and asked the comedian. I was like, "Yo, uh, that was impressive to watch. Uh, how does this work? Like, uh, how long have you been doing this?" And, yeah. and, then, and then he gave me some leads, uh, like for open mics and stuff like that. And within a week of that fundraiser, I went to an open mic, and I got hooked. I, I started doing. I think I'm bit by the bug, huh? I got bitten. Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. Because I think that was like 2015, I think. And once I started, I've never stopped. Like up until now, maybe COVID is the is the only time that I've kind of slowed down. But I've never gone more than two weeks without. Wow. You look very, very comfortable behind a microphone. Like you're not having to stop and really think about what you're saying and put forth a lot of effort into your act which is something that i'm trying to get a lot better at so now i feel much better knowing that you've been doing this since 2015. <laughs> <laughs> well it, it takes time but also it depends i mean 
it depends where you're at individually but also generally um the best uh, advice or analogy that i ever heard was the number of years you've been doing comedy that's how old you are in terms of comedy yeah. like I, i know that sounds obvious but it's not it's kind of like a baby one year old baby speaks one year old language their vocabulary and everything two year old baby three year old four like your vocabulary just keeps going up 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 and then by the time you're like 16 you 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 up there you know you you're using metaphors and you're using analogies you're you're using images and stuff like that and then by the time you hit like 30 you you're like net philosophy that's why you see most comedians the older they get the better they get because their vocabulary their arsenal just keeps building to a level where it's mastery yeah. and everybody has their prime too but you know a lot of my a lot of my favorite comedians like they've been doing this for decades and decades and decades professionally and they're not getting worse it's almost like in in in, in music you know you see you see rock stars that are just like barely alive still and there's <laughs> you know, like all right like you were good 30 years ago but jesus Well well well, <laughs> well there's a caveat on that which is the, the, we were talking about age as an analogy for how long you've been doing something and yeah. vocabulary there is also stunting you, you can stunt in your growth yeah. you know it's, it's kind of like how you were in high school and there was the popular kids i don't know if you were the popular kid but I was it's like, quiet kid yeah so there's the introvert Okay, yeah. So, I I'm sure you remember who the popular kids are. Mm-hmm. Chances are there's some who got stuck in that phase. Like there was a the cool kid, everything they did was cool, and then high school ended and then everyone went into the world and then the world is like, "Yo, what skills you got? What what are you bringing to the world?" And yeah. they got nothing other than, "Hey, I'm cool." And the world doesn't care about that. So same with the artists. You might be cool at a certain point, but you have to pivot. Yeah. And there's people that pivot. So people like uh uh Sylvester Stallone, uh people like even Arnold Schwarzenegger like the way he's pivoted is like actor, a weightlifter, politician. And he really stand up. Did you know that he did stand up? I wouldn't be surprised. That's what yeah, he, he did for like a week or two. I think I read it in his biography in his in his autobiography and he Yeah, after anything and but 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 he talks about how beneficial the experience was for him just having one more thing that he was able to do that made it more relatable and it was another one more challenge. Yeah, so you have to pivot. Uh, if you don't pivot, you get stuck in that phase where uh you look like a knockoff like like you look you sound like yourself many years ago. Yeah. Like so yourself. Yeah. So that's that's uh That's kind of what might happen depending on if if you try to evolve or not. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Pivot has been used a lot lately and I wasn't familiar with the term really outside of basketball until not that I know anything about basketball. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm really familiar with the with the term um and 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 what what it means until um until this pandemic happened. Now, it, I was, I was I didn't know what the term pandemic was. I didn't know what the term quarantine was. Like these are all new words for me ever since this whole, this whole thing went down. Well, one thing we can be grateful 
the vocabulary is growing with the pandemic. Oh, the the vocabulary is growing in, in, in our startup. Like we wouldn't be in business for ourselves if it wasn't for if it, if it wasn't for everything that went down. Because that's the whole reason we started making them. Is, is I was like, I can't go to the gym. I got to make some weights for myself to use so that I don't kill somebody. And then start, yeah, there was a market for it. And you know, one thing led to another. We put together the plan. That's how life goes, man. You adapt, adapt or die. Yeah. So you've been doing this for for uh, five years, stand up. Uh, over the course of your years, have you had has it, has it has your progress and your growth been linear? Has it been up and down? Has it has there been times where you're um, where, where 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 you're making a lot of progress and you're booked all the time has there been like dry spells what's that what's that journey look like for you uh uh it's hard to say but generally speaking the first two to three years were rough and i think that's true for most people yeah like first, yeah first two three years you don't know where things are people do not know who you are you don't know who you are and it's just uh shooting in the dark trying to find your voice is how most people describe it uh i wouldn't go that far because i think finding your voice that that's more like 10 years and over like, wow yeah you're not gonna find your voice that fast not i mean you find your ideas but finding your voice that's a long pursuit wow yeah so i'd say first two three years you're just trying to figure out your topics like what topics speak to you what emotions speak to you? Um, what do people see when they see you? What do they hear when they when when you speak? And that takes a while. So first two three years, that's what was happening. So the comedians, the audiences, the managers, the bookers, nobody knows you, nobody understands you, and nobody wants to know you or understand you. Yeah, because they're not sure what you're up to. You know. Because there's a lot of people that go into stand-up. Some people just, you know, oh, I took a shot and my friend said, can you go up on stage? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. There's those people. And then there's, uh, you know, the people that went to school for it, went to theater school, drama school, improv, clown school. And then there's people that are just naturals. And then there's everybody in between. So first two, three years, nobody knows what part of the scale you are. Yeah. Yeah. So that was rough. Uh, bookings were few and far between. And then uh, I, I, I think I'll, I'll be, it'll be accurate to say after that things got better. But even then, it's, it's, it's a process. I mean, what you're in one city and people know you in one city. They put you on. They know what you're about. They know your style. Like if someone's looking for a clean comic, they know who the clean comics are. If they're looking for a vulgar comic, they know. So that works in your city for a while or region. Then after a while, you have to pivot. So yeah. like if I, if I went to Boston or LA or whatever, I'd have to start from scratch, generally speaking. Right. Uh, granted, you know, there are some cities or towns that I've been to or that you've been to where people would know what you're about and will be more likely to bring you on. Right. Yeah, so I would say it's been um, cumulative. It's grown, but I, I I I wouldn't say it's grown to the measure that I wanted or I would prefer. Yeah, well, I think I think that everybody on planet Earth is in the same 
<laughs> well, that's in light of COVID, but also even before it. So there, um, COVID has just put it in a different light. But even before that, there, there's milestones that I want to meet that I haven't been able to meet. And uh, yeah, I'll be beating myself up for that. For, for that's just life, man. Everybody goes in competitions. Like, ah, I didn't come in quite as big and full as I wanted to. Or, oh, didn't come in as... I came in as lean as I wanted to, but I ate too many carbs, so I spilled over. So basically, that was all for nothing, you know. <laughs> no, there's always yeah. side to where, to where, to where you could improve. So I have only known you as a club comedian. I didn't realize that you that you started out doing stand up in a place that wasn't a club. So has your has is are most of your performances at comedy clubs, or are they at other venues, like where there may not where you may be the only comedian? Uh, I've, I've done them all. Honestly, uh, you know, um, I don't think you can pick and choose what you're going to do <laughs> until you're on cable. Um, even the people on cable, like, they still come out. Like, because I'll give you an example. Um, we were, we were, yeah, you might have been there. We were doing this open mic at a uh, Comedy Underground. Mm-hmm. And there was this girl. My favorite club. Yeah, there was this girl that came and did a set. Lady, girl, woman, something like that. I don't know why she prefers. But she came and did a set and she actually has a comedy special on um, Netflix. And when she came over there, nobody... What? From LA? I think so. I think so, yeah. I think I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, I I, I won't name names, but it it was interesting watching that because I was like, wow, she has a Netflix special and she's here jostling for one of 40 spots on a Monday night and nobody knows, nobody cares. And it's just open season. It's like she's one of everybody else now. So that's how that's how it goes. It's like um, you perform where you get to perform. If it's Monday, you're in line with 40 other people. If it's a weekend, you might be at the comedy club. Mm-hmm. You could be at a bar. It could be anywhere. Yeah. You got to get your steps and re- sets and reps in. You know, that's what Arnold Schwarzenegger says. This is this is what Pachola Cruz and I were just talking about on his last show. I saw that you were on that show, too. You guys were talk- yeah. talking all about fights, and I couldn't relate to any of it. And I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I heard you on our show. <laughs> yeah. I love fights. I just can't relate to it because I don't don't follow it too well. But uh, uh, but yeah, but everything sets and reps. That's what people don't get is that is, is that you see people doing stand up and you see them on a and you see them doing a special and that's not every day for them. Like they're they're not that polished all the time. And when you and when you catch them performing any other time, it's not going to look like that. It's not going to be that quality. And they're and they're and they're trying things, which is why. You, which is why it's very unacceptable in the world of stand-up to record somebody and then post it without their permission because and, and, yeah and it's just like it's, it's it's just like baking cookies like if you take the cookies halfway out they're not going to taste the way they're supposed to taste and if you take a joke that hasn't gone through the entire baking process to get to where it's it's ready to showcase then the the, the, the joke is it's just like food that's not all the way done prepared like it takes it, it takes time and even if somebody has 
good intentions. Like I was doing this when I started. Like I would I would, I would record somebody's set and post it like to just uh, just like for them, you know, as as a nice gesture. <laughs> they gotta eat you up. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm realizing, like, man, like, there's very few re- recordings that I'm comfortable with being out on social media or anything because I'm like, I've I've said it better before. So like, the perfectionist in me is like, no, it can it can be it can be better than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, my favorite analogy is kind of similar to yours, but um, it was uh, Marlon Wayans, I think is his name, uh, stand-up comedian, experienced actor as well. Uh, I was in LA once and I, I got to see him perform yeah. and he, he said that he was like basically the, the thing that people do recording a joke or listening to it and being offended while it's in manufacture would be like if you went if a woman was pregnant and then you went into the ultrasound room at six yeah. months and you know and then you go to the screen and you're like oh what an ugly baby <laughs> It's like, yo, this baby's still being put together. You can't judge this baby right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's true. I mean, it takes a while to learn that. It, it's uh, it's always interesting. But you know, mistakes are part of it. You know, it's like I watch new comics start out right now and they do their first set and slap it online. And I, I, I did some of that. Everybody pretty much does that at the beginning. That's all that. It's only after a while that you learn, you're like, hey, uh, shit, I got to polish this a little more before I put it out there. Yeah. 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 So, uh, that, was, that was a great analogy with the, <laughs> with the baby in the old sound. I got to remember that one. I told my wife that she did a kick it. So you're, uh, sorry, I had this question that I wanted to ask that, um, that oh yeah. Um, so you've done some performances in LA, you've done yeah. uh, quite a few performances in Seattle, which is where you yeah. live. How's the, what, what's, what's the feel like, uh, what, what, how, how's the feel different in LA versus Seattle? How is performing here different than it is in LA? Are there certain topics that work better? Is there anything that you, about your act that you need to change? What does that look like going back and forth? Uh, well, honestly, at the core, there's not that many differences. People want the same thing. You know, they want uh, authenticity. They want, uh, you know, fresh ideas, fresh outlooks, uh, and things like that. But like everything else, it's like, you know, when you go to your house, you put your legs up, you, you know, you grab any cup you want, you turn on the TV as loud as you want, you get comfortable, you know? It's your house. You're used to it. You can't do that shit when you go to someone else's house. You know, you 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 speak a little lower. <laughs> you add, <laughs> you know, you don't just change channels and stuff like that. So it's like you got to play by the rules of that new place. So that's how I feel about stand up. It's always weird when you go to another city. Technically, it's the same thing. Just like your house, it's the same. It's just a house. It's just a TV. It's no big deal, but guess what? It is a big deal. Yeah. Especially if you're visiting, you kind of have to, you know. So to answer your question, it's like, you know, in Seattle, most of the shows that I'll be doing, I know the comedians, I know the producers, I know the bookers. 
you know, some of them I'll pull up five minutes before I'm supposed to go up. <laughs> Not because I, that's what I want to do, but because, you know, maybe it's a busy weekend. I just got to work or something like that. Can't do that shit in another town. Yeah. Yeah. In another town, you show up on time. You, you know, you, you ask what is okay, what's not okay to talk about. Um, you just, you just got to find out what the rules are. You can't overgo, you can't, um, overgo your time. Um, yeah. So between the two, the differences are not that many, but it's just LA is a bigger, uh, pond or, yeah. or lake ocean, whatever you want to call it. So when you go there, it always feels like you're, you're, you're playing with the players. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Seattle is a little smaller, Portland about the same. Um, but you know, I don't know. They, they all, then LA, one problem with LA is LA is, you know, the land of whatever dreams and opportunity in the arts world, you know, acting, screenwriting and all that. So one thing I noticed when I went to some of the, the shows are different, but the open mics, there's a lot of non-comedians doing comedy. Wow. Yeah, like a lot of screenwriters, a lot of improv people, a lot of actors. Everybody think they're funny in LA. (laughs) 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 So it's always interesting when you come in from outside and you not saying we own this thing or what, but it's like, if you're consistently doing comedy, it's always weird when you go into a space where everybody thinks they're a comedian and they haven't actually performed enough or traveled or you know they're just part-timing over here huh. yeah so i saw a lot of that in la i don't see that a lot in seattle like occasionally you know some nights there's some people who are feeling adventurous but generally speaking it's if you go to open mic shows, you, you get to see people who are consistently working on their craft. Yeah. Unlike LA where everyone's just trying to figure out what their gift is. You mentioned Boston earlier. Have you performed in Boston before? I did, yeah. I did some shows in Boston. Um, that was uh, probably a year or two ago. That was wow. fun. Uh, only thing that sucked is they had a, a snowstorm when I went there. So some of the shows I had booked, uh, the crowds were a little thinner than I was hoping for. Yeah. But I I still performed. Uh, Boston is obviously is a hotbed of comedy as well, alongside with LA, New York, and maybe Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too different either, but um, they're a little more, I felt like the style there is uh, obviously aggressive. Like if you think of all the, um, Boston comedians, even uh, the historical ones, or you know, uh, Bill Burr, Joe Rogan, um, and a bunch of others, like they're known for their abrasive uh, style. Yeah, but that's not everybody. But generally speaking, I saw a lot of that over there. I think that's the nature of Boston too. My my favorite band, Bon Jovi, that's based out of Boston, right? Um, yeah. And even when I was playing music over there too, I, I was playing my saxophone in a um, in a traveling marching band right out of high school, and a lot of our performances were in were in Boston. So I got to go see some other music performances at the at the college and at Berkeley. And yeah, it's everything that you're saying about what the what the comedy culture is like sounds similar to how music is there in comparison. Yeah. 
other parts of the country. Yeah, I mean, every city is going to have its vibe, and uh, that's a good thing. I mean, you got to have a vibe, a personality. It's not always explainable in words, too. It's like it, it, there's, a, there's a feeling, but is, is it tangible? Eh, not really. <laughs> Portland and Seattle are very, very similar, um, but there's, there's just a different feeling about the two, <laughs> about, about the two cities. Have you performed in the Portland area at all? I have, yeah. Uh, Portland and Seattle probably the most shows I've done obviously is in Seattle Portland would probably be second in line okay yeah yeah I can't wait till the clubs open up down here because as soon as they're open that's where you know that's where I'm going so wait I thought somewhere open I saw some like helium those are there's a couple that they're they're trying to open here and there but just nothing consistent nothing that's really getting a lot of traction so, oh, okay. Yeah, and a lot of these clubs, like in the, even in the Seattle area, they're changing their business model to that. The Tacoma Comedy Club is now the Tacoma Burger Company. Yeah. <laughs> the Comedy Club is now the Spokane Shake Company. You, know, you want some fries with? The, you want some jokes with that burger? Uh, <laughs> they're trying. They have to. That's the only way they're going to survive. So what? So what are your future plans with comedy? Are you? Do you? Is it? Is performing in Seattle something you see yourself doing long term or is this just a step stepping stone on the way to something bigger and somewhere somewhere else what does that look like for you um honestly I don't know in light of the co uh, in light of uh, COVID uh, that's a different question because obviously you can't be we don't know when things are going to open back up mm-hmm. so you can't this is the worst time to move it's the best and worst depending if you're looking for cheap rent best time you know <laughs> yeah but if you're looking for you know um like industry like jobs and stuff like that it's kind of tricky because yeah. we don't know where things are going so same yeah, with comedy right yeah like I, I i have friends that moved to new york moved to la and now they're just podcasting and it's like yo you could have podcasted right here yeah <laughs> so it's hard to say but generally speaking I think you have to move to grow. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know where, but at some point that has to happen. Are you talking in stand-up or are you talking overall life in general? Uh, stand-up, but also life, but specifically stand-up, stand-up well, you have to. I think it's true to both. That's why I asked. I was, I was just curious. Yeah, it, it, it's true for both. Um, Although, you know, you can get away with stay. Our grandparents used to stay in the same place for years. <laughs> so in life, you can sort of get away with staying put. But with stand-up, I feel like you have to move. Yeah. Even well, if, yeah. Stand-up is an art form, too, where you're conveying an idea, right? Yeah. When you, con- when you convey an idea, um, Jesus, throughout all of his ministry, what he would he would preach everywhere except in his own town because a prophet wouldn't be heard in his own town, and you're not going to be taken seriously. And so, yeah, take that to stand up too. You know, I'm not. I, I can't think of many of, of many successful stand ups off the top of my head that started in their hometown. Like you, you really need to move to, to a new location where people aren't familiar with who you are and what your act is. And that's where you get your sets and direction. But if it's with people that you know, um, you just can't grow. If you're surrounded by people that see you as the person that you are, then you can't 
change because it, not that he, not that your friends and your family are trying to hold you back, but they're going to talk to you and look at you and see you as the person that they've always known you to be. And if you're yeah. one of those kind of people, that prevents you from being able to grow. So when you are put yourself in a situation to where you're surrounded with people that don't know you, that gives you an opportunity to be able to reinvent yourself. Yeah, that is true. I, 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 I have firsthand experience from that, even just moving from Uganda to here uh, and being away from family and friends, I, I've been able to find out things about myself including stand-up like I, I don't think i would be doing stand-up if i had stayed back home yeah yeah it's, it's weird once people that <laughs> that you that you knew before you started doing stand-up and with them seeing your act it's, ugh. <laughs> it's like <laughs> there's sand to say worlds are colliding <laughs> <laughs> yep that's how it goes that's what we feel like doing this podcast man it's like all right we got we got people that know us as business owners we got people that know us as gym rats we got people that know us as people that we went to high school with we got people that know us as family we got people that know us through our church and i'm like okay now everybody's listening to what we have to say at the same time <laughs> you <know>? yeah <laughs> our, our entire life we love you guys <laughs> <laughs> Is I mean authenticity. As long as it's authentic, um, that's have, the best your authenticity. That's when it comes out. Yeah, they have to hear it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's part of the growth of a comedian is people in your life getting comfortable with the things you say or do or that you're trying to say. Hey, podcast. So for the last few minutes of this episode, we went into the discussion of I'm going to put this in quotations as Black Lives Matter, because I'm referring to Black lives in general and how African-Americans have been impacted by recent events. This is not anything in regards to the political organization, Black Lives Matter. I just wanted to get a feel for where he was coming from as far as being an African-American today. What is that like and how has he been affected? Um, As a white male, Um, I find it very difficult for me to know what to say. And I think the worst thing that we can do as whites is not say anything. Um, But that being said, I never really know what's appropriate to say, what's not to say. If you're white and listening to this, maybe you're in the same boat that I am. So my purpose in asking him what his viewpoint on this is and what it's like is simply to take a message from somebody that does have a voice and does have something to say and allowing that message to get out. So that's the only purpose behind this, guys. It's nothing political or anything. Um, It's just a topic that we really can't ignore right now and something that we want to discuss and just help get this message out. So um, here's the conversation that we had on the subject of Black Lives over the last several months and uh, what's been going on throughout our country lately. When I moved here, uh, from Uganda the first time, um, you know, it's like immigrants, like there's a journey, the immigrant journey, which is first step is it's kind of like moving into a new house. You are amazed. Everything works. You know, you, you're excited. You can't wait to use your room, the shower. Everything is great. That's the first phase. But then a few months later, you start to learn that, you know, the different ghosts that live in the house you know you you learn about the people that the neighbors 
you learn about the, the noises in the basement. You you start to, you know, it's not as exciting as it were it was at the beginning. Yeah. So that's why it feels like moving to a new country. The problem is if you say something, then people push back. You know, they're like, oh, if you don't like it, why don't you go back where you came from? Or they, they, they you know, they say, oh, you, you don't know it that well, or you're seeing things, or your country is not any better. Like there's all these rebuttals that come back, you know? Right. So when I moved here, first phase was everything is exciting, everything is great, and it still is. But then over time, you travel to different towns, different cities, and then you see certain things and you're like, yo, am I crazy? Or can everybody see this? And everyone's like, no, what's the problem? <laughs> and what COVID did is people got locked down. They had time to think. And then all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute. What's going on over here? What's going on over here? Who's that guy? Why are they putting money over here? People started questioning shit. So at a certain level, the things that some of us have been seeing for a long time, suddenly everyone sees, which is great. So the question now is what we do about it. And uh, that is gonna be different for everybody. So if you're an officer, it means something different. If you're a teacher, same. The way you address kids, the way you teach history, the way you teach ethics, morality, whatever it is. Um, even along racial lines, you know, it's going to be different for black people versus white people. It's going to be different for immigrants. It's going to, everyone has their own um, duty. Yeah. Uh, the only difference though now is previously the duty was mostly with black people, which is insane. It's, it's, it's like if you had a domestic violence issue and then the duty was on the woman, if, if assuming it was the guy doing the beating. It's like, no, the guy needs therapy too. The guy needs uh, some kind of treatment or a program that they need to go through. And I feel like the problem with America is it's always been black people marching, black people doing the protesting, black people writing the books about race or whatever. It's like, no, this is not a black people problem. It's everybody's problem. Yeah. Uh, it's surprising right now. I mean, you see it, it's it's changing. You know, you have, I've heard of things like uh, Jews for Black Lives Matter. I've heard Mexicans for Black Lives Matter, uh, whatever, Indian American, whatever. Everyone has to chip in. And for the first time, it's not just a black issue. It's everyone's issue. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest positive coming out of this. Thank you very much, podcast listeners, for joining us for the entire episode. If you found this as impactful as we did, we ask that you would please share this podcast and help spread the word. To make sure you don't miss future weekly episodes, please subscribe to the channel, and it would mean the world to us if you would return the favor by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening from. We will not be setting up on Patreon or any platform to receive donations. This content is our gift to you. If you would like to support the show, we do invite you to visit our website at supersetyourlife.com where you will find our retail pages for our very own Skullbells commercial gym equipment line, hats, t-shirts, coaching services, and stand-up comedy booking information. On the website, you will also find the link to subscribe to our weekly newsletter with new product announcements, sales, and all information to be up to date on what's going on. Finally, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at supersetyourlife.com. Thanks again, and God bless.